Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. We are back in business. The international break is well and truly over and the Premier League has produced a blockbuster return this weekend. Derby, Derby, Derby. That is the watchword from the last 48 hours as Manchester City and Arsenal both secured local bragging rights in style at the Etihad and the Emirates. City, unsurprisingly, is where we kick ourselves off tonight. Erling Haaland and his disregard for Premier League records continued as he demolished Manchester United. 6-3 for City at home against their arch-rivals. A third straight Haaland hat-trick means a new Premier League record. The defending champions matching their best ever Premier League tally against United. Haaland mania at the Etihad and more questions than answers for Eric Ten Hag. Alongside the might of City, we'll also be reviewing the North London derby. Mikhail Arteta sealing a third straight home win over Spurs as the Gunners stay top of the table. But the action simply keeps on rolling on tonight's show. Part two sees Brighton past and present in action. Graham Potter getting a first Premier League win at Chelsea as his replacement Roberto De Zerbi claimed a 3-3 thriller at Anfield. But it doesn't stop there as we've got an impressive return to form for Newcastle at Fulham and two timely wins for Everton and West Ham. The Hammers win had an extra effect on the Premier League as Wolves opted to sack manager Bruno Large. So a huge amount to get through as we return to the day job. My name's Fergal Brennan and we have representatives from the blue and red halves of Manchester tonight. We have ourselves a gleeful citizen, Ant McGinley. Be nice, but how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've just got a lot of questions like who gets the match ball? I mean, after all, you wait 50 years for one of your players to score a hat-trick in the derby and then two comes on one <laughs> at once in like nine minutes. 
Well, we're going to try and answer a few questions tonight. That's one for the Premier League to decide. And when you're banging six goals and you get two players getting a hat-trick in Erling Haaland and Phil Foden, and a quick shout-out to Phil Foden because we're obviously going to focus on Erling Haaland quite a bit. Phil Foden's first ever Premier League hat-trick for Manchester City. But it's not all glory for City as there's lots of doom and gloom for United. And Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock joins us to give us the red side of things. Jay, how are we doing? Yeah, I've never been better. I'm so glad that I'm on this podcast tonight, especially with Ant. <laughs> this is like a dream come true for me. Yeah, a dream come true or the best case you know what, nightmare lad, like, scenario. My, my lad's got like tonsillitis that. and I've never wished I had tonsillitis as much as I do now. <laughs> well, I promised, I promised we're going to be gentle, but, uh, but unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to start with Manchester City. Unfortunately for you, Jay, but... Yeah. And incredible stuff from Manchester City and Erling Haaland today. 6-3 to Manchester City, equaling the record all the way back to the Why Always Me, Mario Balotelli game way back when for, for Manchester City. And this was absolutely unbelievable. Pep Guardiola, despite the fact that it was amazing, said that it wasn't perfect. He said that he continues to search for perfection. But as a Man City fan, you must be watching this and thinking, shut up, Pep. This is perfection. Erling Haaland banging in goals, 6-3 against Manchester United. This is as good as it gets. When you think of dominant performances from Manchester City under Guardiola, this has got to be right up there. Before I answer that question, I just want to say, first of all, Jay, I have ultimate respect for you as a broadcaster, and this comes from a place of love. But as, as you pointed out there, uh, Fergal, uh, a lot of the focus today was on our big Norwegian. And so I'd like to honour today in the style of possibly the greatest moment ever in Norwegian football. So, uh, Fergal, you might want to add a little music here. Dum, 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 dum. <clears throat> Bobby Charlton, David Beckham, George Best, Roy Keane, Eric Cantona, Eamon Holmes, Harry Styles, Usain Bolt. Sir Alex, can you hear me? Sir Alex, your boys took a hell of a beating. Your boys took a hell of a beating. Do you know what? Somewhere, Mick Upnall is shouting into his radio now. Saying, <laughs> How could you miss me out? <laughs> I, I tell you what, you could have done with him at fullback today. Um, what a game that was. It was honestly going into this, and, and the last time we were on, just because of the way things have happened in the last few weeks, we were both on after the Arsenal game and, and Anthony had scored and, and he looked very good. And I was like, you know what? I've got nothing to say bad about United. And so going into this game, I was honestly a little bit of uh, Derby Day nerves as well. I was thinking, you know, it's going to be close. Uh, maybe we'll get a draw. And, and I'd, I'd take that, go unbeaten, but uh, really maybe 1-0, 2-0 at, at best. And then just what we saw today, just... You're absolutely right. I mean, if you're just looking at the scoreline, you didn't catch the game, you didn't watch the game. Uh, I don't think there's any words that I can say that do it justice. We absolutely tore United apart. The, 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 all that confidence that we saw in the last couple of United games was gone. And I honestly don't know whether it's a combination of us playing really well and United having a shocker or, or just one being so far to the other extreme. The, the It just seemed like, you know, when you see... Haaland and Foden at the end of the game and it's like uh, they're both there because they've got hat-tricks and Foden looks like a mascot. It was like we were playing a team of mascots at, at times in that game. Uh, the, the fullbacks couldn't handle Foden or Grealish. I thought that was the best game that Grealish has had for us. Like, not just this season, since he's come across. 
whose movement was brilliant. He was so quick. Uh, There was yellow cards early on for both fullbacks. It just seemed to be really confused, not knowing what to do. And everything that seemed to happen was just amazing. Like, uh, and Haaland there, if you if you wanted to see what Haaland was like as a player, it's almost as if, and I, I've heard variations of this from other people, but I fully agree. It's like, you know, Terminator 2, where he can just change his shape to look like other people. It's like Haaland does that. For that header, he becomes Ibrahimovic. And then for, for, for his second goal, he becomes Gazza in Euro 96, just with longer legs and puts it into the back of the net. It was brilliant. I, I absolutely... Loved it. And the thing was as well, a lot has been put on the fact that Haaland hasn't had that many touches per game, but his conversions has been really good. Look at the stats today. He had more touches of the ball in this game than I think he has had all season. And I'm just, I think the best thing for me was that if you go and look at some clips, if you ever wanted to know what karma looks like, look at Roy Keane trying to do the match summary about this. We're, uh, we're going to come back to Roy Keane in a minute when we flick across to United with Jay. But, Ant, I've got to ask you about Erling Haaland. The records keep tumbling. Third Premier League hat-trick. And just to put it into a bit of context, he's got three Premier League hat-tricks in eight Premier League games. The closest player to get three Premier League hat-tricks was Michael Owen, who managed it in 48. That just shows that he has absolutely no respect for Premier League records. 14 Premier League goals in eight games. So, already... We're looking at the golden boot race. Going back to last season, it was shared on 23 goals. Given the fact that the records just keep being obliterated by him in seemingly every game, Mohamed Salah getting 32 in 17-18 and then going all the way back to the start of the Premier League when obviously it was a slightly longer campaign and you've got Andy Cole and Alan Shearer getting 34. That looks like child's play for Erling Haaland as it stands. We've got 40, I'm just going to repeat it again, 14 goals, Premier League goals in eight games. He's got 30 games left. He's not going to the World Cup, so he's going to have a break over the winter. Could he break 40? Like, timeline this for me. When is he going to break 20? When is he going to break 30? And can he break 40? Oh, he could absolutely break break 20 before the World Cup break. And, And I think 40 is you know it, it, it nobody's going to be surprised let's be honest if it gets to that and i think it's not just him himself i mean if you look at his statistics his conversion rate and even even before he came to city i think he had the best conversion rate of like 800 uh, footballers in, in in europe one of the surveys did it and his conversion rate was 27.3 of every every chance that he had he was getting a goal or every shot on target i'm not quite sure on the the, the accurate bits of it but you compare that to someone like Salah in that season that you mentioned, I think his was about 10%. And then you factor into it that this is this is a City team that's been, hasn't just been put together in a season. This has been building time and time again. And of course, we've got uh, De Bruyne, who everybody knows about how good he is. But now we've got to the stage where it's not just De Bruyne putting the balls in, it's Foden putting the balls in. It is uh, Grealish is putting more and more balls in as well, uh, plus the midfield and Edison throwing them up there as well. And you've got somebody that's a foot taller than Aguero was at his best. And it's just, it's almost like simple maths. It's like a simple equation where you look, you go this, 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 and you get this. Now I know it's a lot more complicated than that and it's taken a long time to get to that. But absolutely, I'm, I'm saying it here and now, nobody's going to be surprised if he goes on and doesn't just break the goal scoring record for this, the Premier League in a season, but on the back of that, wherever that takes City, he is on for 
player of the year, Ballon d'Or, whatever you want to call it. Right, we're going to move on to Manchester United, Jay, and I'm pretty confident no Manchester United player is going to be willing the, winning the Ballon d'Or this year. Um, there's a huge amount for Eric Ten Hag to think about in the next few days, so I just wanted to get some of his quotes after the match and, and get your view on it, because United fans will be looking at this and, and everyone will have their own perspective on where it went wrong. Was it selection? Was it a mentality? Was it an approach? And Ten Hag was quite straightforward in his post-match. He said, it's quite simple, it was just a lack of belief. When you don't believe, when you go out onto the pitch, you don't win games, you lose games, and that is unacceptable. We didn't have discipline, we didn't follow the rules, and when that happens, you get hammered. And that is exactly what happened today. Pretty succinct from Ten Hag. And as you were watching this today, probably through your fingers at a certain stage when the goals were, were flying in, was that your big takeaway, that belief was the main issue, or do you think it was something else? Yeah, that was certainly a part of it. I mean, listen, we know the qualities that, that City have got in comparison to United, and just because we'd won those four Premier League games, let's not pretend that you know United are playing at the same level as Manchester City. We're just not. But there is that question of belief. No one really wanted the ball in the first half. No one looked like they, they felt like we could you know, get that goal or even just get some possession. It was just like as soon as anyone got the ball, they were just giving it away or giving it to someone else immediately and not in a good sort of counter-attacking way, in a, in a sort of sense of, oh, don't give it me, I don't want it. And it was, you know, it was really frustrating to see a team that have looked so confident over the last three or four weeks just struggling so badly against a team you cannot afford to, to give the ball away to. You cannot afford to have any lack of confidence. And, you know, the, the sort of... the. Sad thing is, when we did get our act together and did look like we were up for it, the game was already well and truly lost. So, yeah, I, I can see where Tenard's coming from. You know that Manchester City have just got that quality. They've got a player on early, in early in Ireland, as, as Ant was, said, was saying, you know, he's on a different level. There's no point in, in pretending he isn't. You can't, you know, give him even half a chance, let alone the chances we were allowing him to have. At one point, he was, I think it was for his third. There was no one near him, which was just ridiculous. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to be done at Manchester United. And Eric Ten Hag isn't daft. He'll know that. And I think today you've seen the sort of the, the levels United have got to get to or, you know, the, 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 the gap between the top team in terms of Manchester City and where United are at because it's easy to get carried away, especially when you get emotional wins. Like beating Liverpool at, at Old Trafford is an emotional win because there are, you know, big rivals and we hate them and all that sort of stuff. But you've got to remember, this isn't a Liverpool team that are doing that great. Beating Arsenal at Old Trafford, again, it's great, but... You know, Arsenal aren't perfect and all the top of the league. Where you come up against a Man City team, you make mistakes, you get badly punished. And this is what United have got to sort out because if we've got any aspirations, not just sort of title challenges, which is obviously miles away, but getting into that top four, then we have to be more confident against the bigger teams. Otherwise, we're going to get nowhere near it. I just want to ask you about some of the selection decisions from the start and from the bench from, from Eric Ten Hag because he was asked at full time why did he not bring Cristiano Ronaldo on and he said it was out of respect for his big career that he didn't want to bring him on in that type of a situation. There's also talk about Casemiro again no Premier League start for the Brazilian he came on for the last half an hour and Roy Keane weighed in on this. He was asked about whether he agreed with these types of things, whether these were the right calls to be being made. And he said that the big issue tactically for United today was midfield, that they were just torn to pieces. And you look at Ronaldo on the bench, yes, there was the issue during pre-season and maybe he is still playing catch-up. But Casemiro's come in for £70 million. He still hasn't started a Premier League game. This is one of United's biggest, if not their biggest, along with Liverpool, game of the season. Why is Ronaldo on the bench and not being brought on out of respect, whatever that means? And why is Casemiro not starting? 
Well, obviously, two questions there. In terms of the Ronaldo one, I don't think what he said publicly is the real reason he didn't bring on Cristiano Ronaldo. I just thought he felt Anthony Martial and some of the other players would be more effective. And, you know, regardless of what you think of Ronaldo and Anthony Martial, Martial did, did, did well when he came on. You know, he got two goals and he was up for it. Ronaldo isn't having a great season. And I think that maybe Eric Ten Hag there is just sort of, rather than coming out and going, I didn't pick him because I didn't think he'd help us or I didn't think he'd, you know, he'd be able to affect the game in the way I wanted or any of that. He turns it into, oh, well, I respected him that much because we're, you know, obviously already getting battered that I didn't want to bring him on. I think that's sort of saying one thing in public and a bit different because I don't think you don't bring on a player. If you thought Cristiano Ronaldo was going to help you get back in the game, you'd have brought him on. It's that simple. It's not like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to get us back into this game out of respect to what Cristiano Ronaldo's done over the last 20 years or whatever. That's nonsense. And also, in terms of Casemiro, I have to be honest, because it's no good me coming on here now and pretending that you know I was saying th different things before the game. I understood why Scott McTominay was still in the team, because he'd been playing very well. And Casemiro, when he has played in the Premier League, when he has come on, he's looked a little bit rusty. He's looked like he's just getting to grips with the pace of the Premier League. Now, I'm sure he will. But I understand that. I thought, OK, I, I can see you've got a player who's had four very good games while United have won and you've got a player who's yet to start. He's looked a little bit shaky when he has come on um, against the likes of Arsenal, for example. Do you start him at the Etihad? I, I get that decision. Obviously, you know, in the cold light of day, it looks like a bad one. But I understood it at the time. So I'd be a bit hypocritical to go, oh, I can't believe he did that. I think what's probably happened now is... Um, Eric Ten Hag's had a little bit of a wake-up call in terms of what you do when you go to places like the Etihad and it's, you know, you have to sacrifice maybe one of your attacking midfielders for a defensive one and it's not nice to think like that but it's just what you've got to do because as, as Eric Ten Hag pointed out as you mentioned earlier, you know, yes, Erling Haaland was phenomenal today and so was Phil Foden but they're getting those chances because you've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne just walking through our midfield and you needed a bit more than Scott McTominay in there. Right, we're going to move on from the Manchester derby and we're going to switch across to a different derby, North London derby, Arsenal 3, Tottenham 1, keeps Arsenal top of the Premier League and a third straight home Premier League derby win for Mikel Arteta against Tottenham. And one of the big stories this season from Arsenal has been this new Arsenal that we hear so much about and anyone that's watched the documentary or, or listened to any of the clips on social media will see that Mikel Arteta is determined to change not just the playing style and the playing staff but the mentality at Arsenal Football Club and when you look at the game from last season we have three different scorers from the three scorers this time round 12 months ago it was Emil Smith-Rowe who's out at the moment injured Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who's no longer at the club and Bukayo Saka who is still in the team yesterday Thomas Partey Gabriel Jesus and a revived revitalised Granit Xhaka does that symbolise to you this change that Arteta is forcing that old habits are being brushed out and pushed out of the club and everything that Arteta is doing at the moment is at least pushing them in the right direction whether they will reach their goal or not the momentum behind Arsenal at the moment is phenomenal I, th I think there's there's a lot to be said in that and I think when you look at I and mean, we've just been talking about United and Arsenal in a very similar situation in terms of they were going through a transitional period having done things in a certain way for 20 odd years with one manager and it's taken them a little while to get right. But what's what seems to be going on is it's not just Arteta and I think he's got to take a lot of the credit and obviously I'm going to be a fan, but it's got to come from Arsenal and the board themselves because remember, they basically gave Arteta the job when he'd had only one game as manager at Man City when Pep was out. 
And so they've had a lot of faith and belief in this and stuck by it. You know, especially you go back just over 12 months when they lost the first three games of the season. People were hounding for him to be out and this is terrible. And obviously, again, they fell away at the end of last season when they just missed out on the Champions League. But you can see what's been put together. They've brought in Jesus and Zinchenko, who he knew from his time at City as well. And the way that he's got them playing, he's getting the best out of them. Zinchenko looks so calm on it. Ben White as well looks brilliant. And it also as well, the it seems like the, the club and the board have backed him in how he's managed difficult characters. You mentioned Obama Yang. We still don't know the ins and outs, what happened there. But he got rid of them, shipped him out as quickly as he could have. And people questioned why he got rid of Lacazette as well, who hadn't really sort of stepped up to that. And yet what he's done is he's brought the best out of it. You look at Odegaard, who's come in, who has been uh, somebody who has been so much pressure on him, so much hype, so much belief. And it's only since he's come to Arsenal that he's really sort of stepped into that. And he looks every inch the captain. And it could be, you know, for many years to come, the heart of the Arsenal team. So I think... Yes, Arteta has to take a lot of credit for it, but I think a lot of it is down to the the club being behind him and supporting him and and building that because it takes more. And I think there's still an issue in football where we have a mindset that it's one player or one manager or one big transfer window is going to transform us as a club. No, it's much more than that. And I think Arsenal are a really good template for that in what they've done in the last three years someone that had an enormous role for Arsenal yesterday, Jay, was, was Granit Xhaka. And we just flicked back six months and part of an interview where he said his bags were packed in the early days of Mikel Arteta. He was having a poor relationship with the fans. He was booed off after being sent off and he reacted and there was a lot of negativity swirling around about him. He was ready to leave. And he said that Arteta convinced him to stay. And these types of performances in these games absolutely justify both Shaka and Arteta's role in keeping him at the football club. Arteta gets so much praise because of the young players at Arsenal at the moment. Saka, Martinelli, Jesus is not a young player, but he's still in that in that bracket of his career. Ben White, William Saliba, and Ramsdale, etc. But you need an experienced base, particularly in the middle of the team. And Granit Xhaka, not just with his goal yesterday, man of the match performance showed that there's still room for him in this Arsenal team. Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. You know, you talk about balance. You can't just have loads. And I know it sounds all Alan Hansen. You'll win anything with kids, but you do need a bit of balance. You can't just have loads of youngsters and not have any experience. All the best teams have that sort of mix, and and he's done well. I'd say because I think had he sort of pandered to popular opinion, I mean, you'll know better than I do about Arsenal fans. But from what I gather on social media, from the comments I was seeing, that had he said, okay, Granit Xhaka can go, and had he actually. Done, gone the other way around with Aubameyang and fought tooth and nail to try and keep him. I think a lot of Arsenal fans would have understood that and would have backed that, but he didn't, and he made those big calls. And so far, it's looking like it's paying off. And Granit Xhaka fits into that system well. Obviously, he's got Thomas Partey alongside him, which helps. But if you look in front of him, you've got those attacking, those flair players, likes of Odegaard and Martinelli and, and um, Bukayo Saka. So it's, it's a good mixture there, and it gives... You know, Granit Xhaka that ability to just play the game that he plays well. And also, you know, he's added a little bit more to it as well. We've seen him getting forward more and you saw him get his goal against Spurs. So, yeah, you've got to give Arteta credit where it's due. He has weathered such a storm, like Anne was saying there. Um, going back to last season, not just last season, the season before, is you know, finishing eighth and, and people questioning him and saying, is he up for this? Is he good enough? And all the rest of it. Then you've got the player fallout and everything. But he seems like he's backed the right players. He's bringing through the right youngsters and he's got rid of the right players as well. And, and so far, you know, Arsenal are looking good. I still have that feeling that it'll end somehow 
in tears. I just, I might, you might be wrong, but I just feel like, are they going to do like the last season where they looked nailed on for top four and then things went a bit wrong? There's always seems to be that possibility of Arsenal that things could go wrong, but going off the beginning of the season, you can't fault them because other than that loss, obviously, Old Trafford, they've been, you know, nearly perfect. Yeah, and it's been a really, really impressive start to the season for Bukayo Saka. I just want to give Saka a shout-out because I thought he was absolutely brilliant against Tottenham yesterday. And just looking at some of his stats so far this season, only Kevin De Bruyne is ahead of him in the big metric. Shot-creating actions, carries into the final thirds and assists. They are the only player above him so far in the Premier League this season is Kevin De Bruyne. Bukayo Saka is being absolutely superb and for my money he's one of the best wingers in the Premier League at the moment. Brilliant performance and uh, fully deserved three points for Arsenal. Right, we are going to grab ourselves a quick break on the Football Social Daily. After the break we are talking wobbly Liverpool. Three all at Anfield against Brighton. Roberto De Zerbi enjoying a brilliant Premier League debut and Conor Gallagher came back to haunt Crystal Palace. All that to come after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Before the break, it was Derby, Derby, Derby. Manchester City 6-3 against Manchester United and Arsenal 3-1 against Tottenham. Arsenal stay top of the Premier League table and Erling Haaland continues his one-man assault on the Premier League. But we're going to switch across from Derby to... I'm going to try and make a pun out of this, Ant. I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. From Derby to... Zerby, the Derby. I actually called him Zerby before by mistake, and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, Roberto Zerby, three all away at Anfield, a hat trick for Leandro Trossard for the Seagulls. Life after Graham Potter was pitched as going to be difficult for Brighton, but we'll talk about Liverpool in a second. I want to talk about Brighton first, Ant, because they were superb. Three goals for Trossard and Zerby. I'm going to try and get his name right. Uh, he's not going to tear up the Graham Potter playbook. Brighton are a brilliantly coached team under Graham Potter. We're used to getting big results from them. This is another good result at Liverpool where they've done well in the past. And he looks like he's going to continue the work that Graham Potter has done. 
Well, to to be fair, he didn't really get that much time and much chance to work with and put his own uh, impression on the team or the squad, it, it, whatever that is. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people that when his name was first mentioned, they were like, "Who? Where's he come from? What?" And we're very disparaging of the team that he's got to come from. Remember as well, it's not just Potter that's gone. Potter's taken his old backroom team with him as well, so it's a, a massive change for that playing squad there. And uh, but again, I think this is reflective of how um, how the club uh, uh, have moved. It's similar to how I was saying about Arsenal. I think Brighton are doing things the right way as a club as well. And I think they probably realised a long time ago that sooner or later somebody was going to come along from for Potter. And so I'm sure uh, Wobbly Deserby was uh, identified a long time ago as as one of the potentials to bring in. And you know the the, the thing is again. It, you know what's happened there, and and they they had some you know itchy is it itchy feet. There were there was a little bit of squeaky bum time around Brighton a couple of seasons ago because everybody was like, oh, they're doing great. You know, it's really good football to see, but you know they're going to risk the relegation, and they, they they barely you know they barely stayed up. Then last season, about this time of year, uh, they were in contention in the Champions League places, and they continued to push on and. It's kind of become a habit there now. It's not just a one-season wonder. They've started to put things in. And yes, um, you've got to give Potter a lot of credit. But also, with the signings that have come in, um, you have to assume that some of that's been done by, by the club as well and the, the other agents that they've got there, the scouts. And the signings that they've brought in, they've been able to work well enough when they've lost the likes of Kukurea going over to Chelsea. And, you know, Trossard, that, that hat-trick... It, was was incredible. I mean, it's been a been a great weekend if you captained any of these players in your fantasy teams, but uh, absolutely deadly, you know. And and th- bear in mind that he finished the hat trick after he got injured as well. It looked like he was going to come off. They left him on for a few more minutes. He bagged the hat trick, and then he, they they took him off. But I think you know you, you sometimes can be in in danger of, of focusing on the other team. And and I think that does a big discredit to Brighton because I think they're they're absolutely brilliant at the moment. It's there's some great stuff happening there, and it has been it's been a revolution on that south coast for a couple of seasons. And they're doing it in the right way. They're doing it slowly. They're building up. Uh, they're playing great football. They're bringing in talented players and financially as well. I, I'm guessing they're in a very good position compared to a lot of the clubs that have come up, splashed a load of cash and then gone back down again. Just flicking across to Liverpool, Joe, I'm going to ask you about this because other than the 9-0 win against Bournemouth, they've not kept a Premier League clean sheet at Anfield in the Premier League this season. And this is not the Liverpool that we're used to seeing. This is a Liverpool that is making mistakes. They look tired. They look unconfident. And... Jurgen Klopp's obviously come out to defend them during the week as a manager of an impressive side like Liverpool would do after the game. He said, we're going to stick together. We know what we're doing. The players know what we're doing. This is no time for panicking or leaks or any of that type of thing. We need to just keep on powering through. Trent Alexander-Arnold's come in for a lot of attention, negative based on the fact that he didn't feature for England during the international break. His defending has once again come under the microscope. But this isn't just about Trent Alexander-Arnold or Virgil van Dijk or Jordan Henderson. Collectively, this is a Liverpool team that are making mistakes. They're slow to win the ball. They're slow to close players down. There was two instances yesterday with Mohamed Salah where he just was unable to close down a defender, ball into midfield, ball into attack and a goal-scoring chance for Brighton. 
what is going on? Is it is it tiredness? Is it confidence? Is it just a, a lack of belief in everything that they've been doing? Something needs to change because this is not the Liverpool team that we are used to. No, they've had, they had a little bit of this, haven't they, over the last few seasons, Liverpool, where it's been a bit boom or bust. They've had these amazing seasons where they've either won the title or challenged for titles and, you know, done well in the Champions League. And then the following season, it happened a couple of seasons ago where they struggled. They just looked like they'd run out of steam. They, they would get, you know, conceding goals again. You know, people saying, is it just fatigue? And then they rallied later on in the season to just sort of make the Champions League places. And last season, obviously, had a, a, a big season and a, a pretty good one, winning obviously the two domestic trophies and, and going to the Champions League final. But again, they look like they've, they've, they've done what they did last time in terms of just almost falling off a bit of a cliff in terms of like the form and the, and the performances. And they are leaking goals. They do look a little bit, maybe it is a bit of fatigue or tiredness, I'm not sure. But just basic mistakes. You know, I've seen a few of the goals from Liverpool this season and you think, what are you doing there? And, and yes, there might be some questions over Trent Alexander-Arnold's defending, but I don't buy into this idea that he's a terrible defender. He's a, he's a decent defender. He's just a lot better going forward. He's, you know, he's not perfect. He's not great defending, but he's not that bad. Uh, Virgil van Dijk was a player that everyone a few years ago or last season or whatever, or even now, is saying is one of the greatest Premier League defenders ever. And you see him making basic mistakes and, and just looking like he's not at the races at all. And you have to question that. What is it? Is it a question of, or is it a case of, some of these players are just getting a little bit complacent. They've, they've you know, they've won a lot of trophies. They've, they've they sort of, you know, they're up against a, a, a team in Man City who always seems to raise the bar, and it makes it more and more difficult to, to win that second Premier League trophy. Or is it just fatigue? Something's not right. There's, there's no doubt about it because these aren't bad players. You know, as much as I take no pleasure in saying it about a Liverpool team, they have got a lot of very good players there. But you look at the performances they're putting in; they're not good performances by any stretch of the imagination. And some of the mistakes they're making. I just schoolboy. So, yeah, it, it might be a mixture of all the things you said, but it's something that um, Jurgen Klopp's got to get right because, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you have got any aspirations of a title challenge and winning the title against a team like Manchester City at the minute, then you've got to be at the top of your game and Liverpool are nowhere near that. You know what worries me about this whole thing is is right now Jurgen Klopp looks very much like Eddie Howe did a few months before he walked away from Bournemouth. It just seems to be like there's a lot of stress coming out. And, and obviously, it's a very stressful job managing a Premier League team and, and everything that comes with it. But I'm just starting to get that. You know, and we all saw it. And obviously, Eddie Howe looks much happier now. He had some time out. He's in a different place, different job. But there's something about, like, it's just... I don't think he's enjoying it as much right now. You could say the Dortmund final season, even with him. They finished... I mean, they, I think they rallied to finish seventh. But they were near the bottom of the table for like the entire season until the last, I think, few months where it looked like it was just one season too much for him and he just sort of, you know, maybe had enough. And maybe there's an element of that here because, yeah, you know, what, the ninth? I mean, OK, we're only seven, I think, seven games in. But you know how tight it is. They're already, what is it, 11 points or whatever or 10 points behind the leaders. Which The way the Premier League's been going the last few seasons, you can't be dropping that many points and expect to win the league. So... No, but then remember, City did come back from that about this time of year in tenth or eleventh place. That you know, that many points mm -hmm. behind, and so it can be done. So I, I would be very hesitant. Do to you think though that City looked as bad as Liverpool have looked that season? Because uh, I don't know. I always feel like with 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 Jurgen Klopp, there is that little bit of there's always there is an erratic nature to Liverpool, and I don't really feel like there is with City. It's just, you're always there or thereabouts. 
I, I think the issue is is that transition is when you bring in different players and letting different players go. I think City are, are much better at that that than Liverpool have, and I know there's been a lot about Nunes, you know, not really featuring, and obviously, you know, he, he's uh, they spent a lot of money on him, almost twice what uh, City spent on Haaland. I mean, that's irrelevant to some accounts, but obviously, he got himself suspended, so he's not had as much game time. But a lot of people questioning why. But then, when you look at the previous players that they brought in, it's taken even the likes of Mane. It took a, a few weeks and months before he was becoming a regular in the squad. Right, we're going to move on to uh, another derby this weekend. The uh, the D word is being thrown around constantly. Crystal Palace won Chelsea two. And Jay, I want to talk to you about Conor Gallagher because he was kind of the hero and the villain of this piece at the weekend. Was on loan at Crystal Palace last season. They wanted to bring him back in. A deal couldn't get done. He stayed at Chelsea. He hasn't really featured regularly for them so far this season. And then he comes off the bench and bangs an absolute worldie into the top corner to give Graham Potter a win on his first Premier League game in charge. And there is a a situation at Chelsea where there potentially is a gap for him. And the interesting stat that came out at full time, this is the first... Chelsea midfielder to score from open play this season. Jorginho got a penalty on the opening day against Everton. Is there a role for Conor Gallagher under Graham Potter? He hasn't really been able to force his way in under previous managers. Jorginho looks quite set in that position, but Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Golo Kante has had a lot of injury problems for all the quality he's got. Is Potter the man to give Conor Gallagher a chance? You'd think so. I mean, he does seem like that type of player and that type of manager where you see, you see a good fit. You saw what he did last, last season at Crystal Palace and obviously there's no better way to get yourself in the manager's thinking than by scoring a, a last-minute winner. So he certainly done himself a massive favour there. But yeah, Conor Gallagher strikes me as the type of player that Graham Potter would like to work with and would like to have in his team. And the good thing about, you know, or the, from a sort of Graham Potter perspective, when you come into, or any manager, when you come into a club, you don't owe any of the players anything. It's not like they're your players or you brought them in or, you, you know, they've rescued you in the past or any of that. Every, it's a sort of clean slate for everyone. And he can look in and he can go, listen, if Conor Gallagher's performing for me and he's the type of player I can get a tune out of and it fits into my system, then, yeah, why not? And, you know, Conor Gallagher last season, he was one of the reasons that Crystal Palace were always enjoyable to watch, regardless of whether they always got the results. They were a good team to watch. They played good football and he was at the centre of that. And, yeah, you know, a, a good performance and a good goal for, for Chelsea against... Um, against Palace because it was it right he came on didn't he as, um, he was a sub and he's come on got that got that late winner and yeah I think I think he could be a good fit for Graham Potter because like I said you know you've mentioned there a lot of players and that some of the faults they've got and why they, they might not might not necessarily work out for for them moving forward but with Conor Gallagher you've got a good young player who plays good football who plays a way that sort of you know you can imagine Graham Potter wanting to play and who you know who Graham Potter doesn't doesn't have a reason not to play him um, before we move on, Ant, I've got to ask you about the other reason why Patrick Vieira was upset at full time, as well as the kind of jilted lover syndrome of Conor Gallagher coming in and banging banging home the winner. Thiago Silva's absolutely outrageous handball. Now, he only got a booking for this. There was two VAR checks for the cheekiest of lying down, you've beaten me, I'm on the floor, but I'm just going to tip the ball away with my hand so you don't break away from me. Patrick Vieira was absolutely fuming at full time. How the hell has Thiago Silva got away with this? 
I, I have no idea. Uh, Vieira's rightly fuming about it as well. Uh, for anybody that's not seen it, it, the first contact, he's basically fallen, his hand touches the ball, and then he very quickly realises. And then it's 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 a, a pat away with the hand that any goalkeeper would be proud of. He just gets enough on it to take it out of the run and, and disrupt the run. And uh, yeah, it just makes absolutely no sense why that hasn't... I don't know whether it's because of this silly yellow card rule where they're not allowed to... Uh, question it if a yellow card's given instead but uh Ayu was away there's 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 no two ways about it and it makes absolutely no sense and it makes a mockery of even having VAR yeah it's just an absolutely crazy decision but it went in Chelsea's favour in the end 2-1 win at Selhurst Park and a debut Premier League win for Graham Potter in his new role so lots of bright and interest in the first two games in part two before we take a break we're going to talk Fulham against Newcastle J Fulham 1 Newcastle 4 now Fulham played the majority of the game with 10 men Nathaniel Shalabar sent off after 8 minutes Bobby D over Reed getting them a consolation with a couple of minutes to go but this was all about Newcastle Callum Wilson scoring immediately on his return from injury two for Miguel Almiron including an absolute worldie and he does have this in his locker Almiron he has every six or eight months he turns in a performance where you go are you the same person that normally is just absolutely bang average but probably from Eddie Howe's perspective Jay Callum Wilson's return will have got as much attention because he's really important for them and Newcastle have been steady maybe not spectacular they haven't won since the opening weekend of the season prior to this they've struggled for goals on mass they've got a couple from alexander isaac but generally the points have not really been flowing three draws and a defeat before this weekend wilson getting a goal and getting back fit almiron turning into ronaldinho will be a big big positive for them but they needed this win to get themselves going a little bit because it's been good but not great and it's not going to take long for pressure to build if Eddie Howe is not tearing things up. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the amount of money they've got, and you know they've not got a massively turbo in the transfer market, but they've brought in some big players, so you're going to have pressure to them. And I think that you know you're right to say that. But you look at and they do have a lot of players in Newcastle who, on their day, are amazing and, and can turn it on. It's just that consistency. We look at. I know, obviously, I don't think he played at um, St. Maximum. Was he? He didn't play did he, um, against Fulham. No, but look, plays like Sam Maximan, and, and and you mentioned Almeida, and I think Almeida didn't he score some like one Premier League goal last season or something. Um, but then you see him doing what he did <laughs> against Fulham. You think who is this guy? Um, the the big thing with Callum Wilson is I, I like Callum Wilson, and his record at Newcastle is very good. It's just his his injury record. He's had these injury problems, Annie, and I think he's never quite been able to get going fully because of injuries. If, and it's a massive if, if they can keep him fit and if he can form some sort of partnership, maybe with um, Alexander Isaac, that could be the key for Newcastle. That could really get them doing bits because they have got some good players. They have you know, been doing well under Eddie Howe. They just have a little bit of inconsistency and missing one or two players who, who struggle with injuries. But yeah, it was, you know, it was... Good to see Callum Wilson getting back on his goal because I feel I do feel a little bit for him because he's a player who's just had just had no luck as he with injuries whatsoever and like you said you know if he can get goals and they can get some consistency out of the other players then maybe they could be a bit of a wild card for that you know challenging for that top four spot. 
Yeah, back in business, Newcastle, and back in business, Callum Wilson and Miguel Almiron's brother, uh, John Almiron. Brilliant performance from you as well. Right, we're going to take a break. After the break, we are wrapping up the rest of the Premier League's weekend action. West Ham winning against Wolves. That cost Bruno Lage his job. Southampton losing again. Everton getting a big three points on the south coast. And two nil-nils. Leeds nil, Aston Villa nil, and Bournemouth nil, Brentford nil. But still plenty to talk about. We'll be back in just a sec. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are wrapping up the remaining games from the Premier League this weekend. And I'm going to start with you, West Ham 2, Wolves 0. And a couple of firsts for West Ham this season. Gianluca Scamacca's first Premier League goal and Jared Bowen's first of the season. It's been a difficult start for Bowen. Obviously, he was fantastic for the Hammers last season. And even more importantly for David Moyes, a first Premier League win for West Ham since August. We're going to talk about Bruno Lage and his subsequent sacking in just a second, but this was important. You could almost feel the relief for Bowen, for Skamaka, who's come in for big money and has been waiting to get that goal. Bowen, we know, is so important and he's so busy and creates lots of situations for West Ham to get goals. David Moyes is never going to be overly excited, but you get the sense that this was absolutely crucial to get this right now even if it did cost Lazy's job yeah I mean this this is as close as we're going to get to uh, David Moyes getting excited really and uh, you're absolutely right because considering the the season that they had last last year and it was a long season I think they played possibly more games than anybody else but they um they did very well uh, that you know, and again, since since he's come back there, remember that first time he he was in at West Ham, it was very much a stopgap, and uh, you know people were not excited about him coming back in. But what he's done there over the last couple of years has been exactly the, the moving West Ham in the right direction they need to be going. And uh, he, he's not the most fashionable manager, as uh, Jay will tell you. You know, he, he's not the best reputation, but I think at West Ham he, he's found a. A place that is is like a home and somewhere he can start to put things together. And the the worry was that that was all going to be sort of forgotten about because things had not been going very well at all. But it just seemed like last night everything came together. As you say, uh, the top scorer last season was Bowen, and he's not had a sniff this season. He gets on the s- score sheet, and then obviously they splashed out the cash on Skamaka o- over over the summer. Uh, you know. Uh, I think top four goal scorers in Italy last mm. season, uh, but un- unproven, untested here. And yeah, so I think, you know, I, I, as far as it goes, any, any day of the week, that was going to be a good result, but very timely because I think had there been, you know, uh, another draw, more drop points there, I think 
you know, especially in this very nervy season that we seem to be in, uh, a lot of questions might have started to be asked and the pressure would have built up. But I, I think this is a nice palate cleanser, uh, for want of a better phrase. And they can, on the back of the international break, it's put them in a good space, start again, and hopefully they can use this as a bit of momentum and push them up the table. Jay, I was all set to ask you about Diego Costa and his return to the Premier League. He looked better than expected, considering he's barely played any football this year. He had a couple of chances to get himself a goal, but Wolves opting to sack Lege this morning means that that's been bumped down the pecking order. Just one Premier League win this season for Wolves. That means that they're inside the drop zone on the back of this defeat. Is this maybe a little bit unfair? We're going to talk about a couple of other managers who are under pressure in a second and the two managers who are below Wolves as it stands, Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest and Brendan Rodgers at Leicester do battle tomorrow night. Is this a justified sacking? We've seen a busy kind of uh, revolving door in the Premier League in the first few weeks of the season. Is this maybe a little bit harsh on, on Bruno Lage? Well, you have to remember as well, last season, um, towards the end last season, they had a bit of a stinker, didn't they? Was it one win out of the last... I think they didn't win the la any of the last seven games, I want to say. Um, and I, I think you look at that, coupled with the start to the, the season they've had this season, I think that's what's done for him. I don't think it's just all, you know, um, all what's happened this season, which has obviously been pretty poor, but also the back end of last season. I mean, I do feel a little bit for him because, you know, it's not like Wolves have loads of money to spend and, and they can go out there and, you know, get all these, these signings and all a few years ago they were bringing in players with, with the, because of the connection they had with uh, with Mendes but you know it is difficult at Wolves especially when you've lost some key players over the years but uh, I think this you know one win this season coupled with the back end of last season it's not that surprising for me we've had a lot more or bigger surprises when it comes to managerial sackings than Bruno Lage living uh, leaving Wolves yeah, that was right. In terms of the performances at the back end of last season was pretty, pretty poor. No win from their last seven Premier League games and just one win from their last nine. Uh, just to say, in terms of betting odds, Sporting Lisbon coach Ruben Amorium is the favourite as it stands to take over from Lege. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to the ongoing Wolves-Portuguese connection in the next uh, few weeks and months. Uh, we're going to move on to one of the other games from yesterday and Southampton won Everton 2. Uh, first, similarly to Derby, is a word that's been thrown around a lot on tonight's show, but first back-to-back -back wins for Everton this season and a first Premier League away win of 22-23. More firsts, Connor Cody and Dwight McNeil's first goals for Everton. Obviously, Cody got the uh, Derby goal disallowed against Liverpool and Neil Morpai got his first goal for them last weekend. Is this the way for Lampard to go this season? New is always better. Play the new guys. Six summer signings started uh, against Southampton this weekend. Obviously, a couple of experienced heads thrown in there, the likes of Jordan Pickford and, and Seamus Coleman. But six players who've only been at the club a matter of months, starting, getting a positive result away from home and maybe reviving Everton from the kind of turgidness that we saw at the back end of last season, albeit surviving relegation, of course. Oh, it's such a loaded word, that isn't it? The turgidness that really sums up. I, another first for you, actually, on there is um, that was, I think, Dwight McNeil's first Premier League goal in about 54 games. I think something like that, that, that it's going back a long way. But what a, what a time to bring that in. I think, yeah, I think in terms of um, where Everton were and what they've been through, I, I think it's only understandable that 
he's going to start to put his own uh, shape on things. And also, like, one of the issues that they've had for a long time, Everton, is at the, especially at the centre-back, there's been a lot of question marks. They've never really had a set regular pairing. Uh, they've had different players come in and out, different success and failures, and it's not really worked. But in, in Cody and Tarkovsky, you've got two, you know, bona fide quality defenders there that work very well and they've worked incredibly well together since they've come in and uh you know that's that's a real bonus uh for, for cody popping up at the end there and, and and getting that goal as well uh but i think yeah i, I think for, for any manager going in it's got to be that kind of uh strengthen your convictions i mean obviously he hasn't got it right with everyone you know because uh, one of the players he, he brought in was shipped out rather quickly in delhi alley uh but you know that that's that, that's how it goes when you, you're putting it together and you know he's, he's still got the likes of the the legacy players that are there from before like gordon and rondon that he can call on and 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 different players in that squad but i think you know he is very much his own man and and remember you know, what we've seen him do before in the Premier League, especially when he was at Chelsea, he was in a position where he couldn't bring any players in and had to work very much with what he's got. Um, so I think when when he has brought players in, it might seem a little bit haphazard and uh, confusing to some people on the outside, but I'm sure it's very considered in terms of what he wants for the club, what they can achieve uh, and what they can afford. And so I'm, I'm not surprised at all. And I, I, th- I think we're going to see more of that as he shapes this and moves this team forward and with a result like this um it's you know it's something that's going to move them in the right direction uh no goals from the final two games that we're covering uh jay i'm going to start with you Le- uh, leeds nil aston villa nil leeds playing the bulk of the second half down to 10 men and aston villa failing to take advantage so i want to touch on aston villa's situation Bruno Leija has just been sacked from Wolves after picking up five points from five games. Steven Gerrard has five points from five games at Aston Villa. Granted, they do have two wins compared to Wolves' one. He's now third on the list of Premier League managers next to be sacked after Ralph Harsenhutl and Brendan Rodgers. Steven Gerrard had a very good start at Aston Villa, but given the fact that in terms of record, we're getting into Dean Smith territory We've just seen Bruno Lay sacked from their West Midlands rivals. The pressure is going to grow on Gerrard. We, we spoke before the international break about the positive result against Manchester City, but when they're in this type of situation, it doesn't take long for that to be forgotten and for things to go back to the way they were in the first few weeks of the campaign. No, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you mentioned there um, the fact that they, they were willing to sack um, Dean Smith you know, when the results went against him, then why wouldn't they do the same with with uh, Steven Gerrard? That good start he had, it's now sort of come unstuck a little bit when he first took over at Villa. Um, been pretty average for a quite a while, in my opinion. But have brought in some some players, not gone mad on the transfer market, but they have been able to bring in players as well. So it's not like he hasn't hasn't been backed at all, and they just don't look like they're, they're getting anywhere. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, at the moment you look at him, and it's only all these early days, but. Eight points, I think, from eight games in total. It's not great. And if you start getting into a relegation fight, they might look at it and go, you know, do we stick with this manager who's got no experience of that and who's got us into this mess, or do we bring someone else in? And, yeah, I think if I was Steven Gerrard, I'd be looking over my shoulder because I think, you know, one or two 
or, or maybe not one or two bad results, but a bad run, he could be in all sorts of trouble because that's what happened with Dean Smith when it was like four, four straight defeats or five straight defeats or something and they got rid of him. Uh, final game of the weekend and it was a bit of a damp squib and unfortunately I'm going to give you the final word on this Bournemouth nil Brentford nil not not a huge amount to shout about Ivan Tony finding himself front row and centre disappointed not to feature for England in midweek but he saved a goal and then missed a huge chance to win it for Brentford and from the Bournemouth perspective Gary O'Neill unbeaten in four games he's still laughing off questions about whether he'll take the job permanently this wasn't one to really get the pulse racing but Bournemouth stay on Breton Brentford back from the international break obviously frustrated that Tony couldn't win it for them but a, not a step backwards but not a step forwards yeah I think the other issue that Bournemouth have got as well is is uh, you know it's great that they've you know uh, gone undefeated for a couple of games now but they've not scored for three or four which I think has to be a worry and a concern uh, as, as for Tony yeah I mean I think he wasn't the only one that was disappointed he didn't get to feature for England. But again, he showed what a versatile player he was in this game with that goal line clearance. Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, he'll be kicking himself. Should have done a little bit better with that finish. But really, I think it says it all when, when you come down to the, the the highlight of this game, really being the referee overruling the uh, the decision of the, going to the pitch side monitor and sticking with his original decision on field. Um, although... It did kind of go against what how everybody did seem tend to see it in the ground. But hey, what's new? We're talking about VAR again. Yeah, we are. It wouldn't be the return to the day job without talking about VAR. And uh, that seems like a natural stopping point for tonight's podcast. It's been a brilliant uh, comeback for the Premier League this weekend. Erling Haaland front row and centre as we expected. Sensational stuff from the Nordic meat shield. Ant, Jay, Jay, you can go and have a rest and you can go out and party. Make up your, I wish I've got the three points in the, in the bag. Uh, three points in the gaff podcast next with City fans, so I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> oh, my word, my word indeed. Right, uh, that's it. We are, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Let Jay uh, crack on with work. And feel free, pop the corks, pop the champagne, go out, celebrate. You've got Erling Haaland oh. and he is tearing the Premier League to bits. So go out. Are you going to have a champagne tonight, Ant? Uh, I, I'm going to have three champagnes because that's the way Erling does it. He doesn't do things, you know, simple ones. He does it in threes. Indeed, indeed. And uh, what a good example to follow. Right, that's it. We are going to call it a day for tonight's podcast. The guys will be back tomorrow. As always, Monday is Moan Day. They'll be having a bit of a whinge about what's upset them over the Premier League weekend. And there is the small matter of another Derby in Monday night action. Leicester City doing battle with Nottingham Forest in the East Midlands finest. And the reality is one of the managers, if they lose, could be facing the sack. An early season relegation battle and big pressure on Steve Cooper and Brendan Rodgers. So the guys will be previewing that as well as getting stuck into the build-up for the return of the Champions League. Thanks so much for listening. As always, hit subscribe up the top. We've got some brand new shows coming your way this week, so don't forget to check them out. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. <laughs>